podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, soon to be 12, soon to be 14. Wait, I think I got that backwards. It doesn't matter. Who the hell knows who's going to be in this conference 10 years from now? I don't, you don't. Let's just all accept that and move on. Uh, I am so excited. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. In case this is the first time you've been listening to this show, and for the regular listeners, I love you. You all are amazing and the best. We, of course, are the flagship show of the 1012 Network, the podcast network that loves the Big 12 Conference and uh, and loves to talk about it. We are uh, 10 shows strong. Make sure to go to 1012network.com, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network. you find every show in the network. Joining me today, as they typically do on Mondays, it's my good friends, compatriots, uh, Andy Mitz. How's it going? I am absolutely loving this weekend. Can't imagine why. My host of the uh, the Rock Chalk podcast, also joining us as she typically does, uh, Jamie J S J Steyer Johnson. You miss me? Yeah, where you been, girl? Uh, working, thankfully, <laughs> and then recovering <laughs> from, from working. <laughs> from working, and then I I just got back from the final four too, so just you know, jetting around doing that. Some sounds like the whole. Stuff needing a vacation to recover from your vacation type of thing. Yeah. And I just started talking with my husband and family about our vacation plans for the rest of the year. And there there's gonna There's some potential for some really fun trips, but I might need like in between mini trips or just hibernations, frankly, but I'm back here. So we're all good. We are all good. We are all good. We've got quite a bit to talk about today. Uh, I mean, let's just, let's just start off the top here. Andy, uh, the Kansas Jayhawks are one win away from a national championship, and I like we can we can rehash the game against Villanova. Like I, the it was a little bit closer in the second half than the score indicates, but it also wasn't. We have talked about it on this podcast, you and I and me with everybody. Like it, I know all the focus has been on Duke and North Carolina, but it, the storyline 
of this championship, I feel like once we're done with it, is going to be Kansas. And this three-year build of them not being able to get a championship when they should have probably two years ago, could have very much last year. And now they're sitting here one win away. And the, the vibe I'm getting from this game and the vibe I kind of got heading into the Final Four, um, and forgive me, I think it was 2016 uh, when Kentucky and Wisconsin faced off in, oh, 2014, when Kentucky and Wisconsin faced off in the Final Four, Kentucky was undefeated, everyone's like, they're going to win the national championship, and Wisconsin wanted revenge from the year before, and Wisconsin threw everything into that game to knock off Kentucky. Meanwhile, then they faced Duke in the next game, and I still think Wisconsin was probably the better team, but Duke was just, Wisconsin was so emotionally spent from that game, Duke beat them fairly easily. And so now I fast forward to this weekend and you look at Duke and North Carolina and that game was so much. It took so much out of both teams. It was such an emotional game. Meanwhile, Kansas kind of just took care of business with Villanova and comes into this game. And, and I feel so much better about Kansas. Wouldn't it matter if Duke had won or we had North Carolina. I feel really good about Kansas. It very much harkens back to that 2015 Final Four National Championship. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting. Yeah, the funny thing is, though, like the 2015, Wisconsin was the better team. And so now you have the team that is not getting talked about, honestly, which is kind of crazy to me, um, in, in Kansas, who is clearly the better team over North Carolina this time. And they're not getting talked about. You know, they basically have been getting disrespected in the final four or for most of the tournament because everybody wanted to talk about Duke. Well, I should say everybody, but really the national media wanted to talk about Duke like over and over and over and over and over and over again. And, and I almost tripped over my words saying over so many times um, like this is one of those things, though, where, you know, I, I loved the fact and, and, and I don't know how sarcastic I'm actually being with this, but immediately after North Carolina beat Duke. The narrative immediately turned to, oh my gosh, look at North Carolina. They're the hottest team in the nation right now. Like you look over the last six weeks and they were a bubble team. Like, did you know that? That six weeks ago they were a bubble team and they're one of the hottest <laughs> teams being able to make it all the way to the national championship game. Like this feels like we're going down the exact same rabbit hole that we did with Coach K, except there's not nearly as much time to talk about it because everybody just got done, you know, talking about Coach K as much as they possibly could. Um, what they failed to realize in an article that I actually put out on Blue Wings Rising last night from when this is coming out um, – People don't realize that Kansas has actually been hotter than North Carolina for longer. Like the the big stat, right? Gary Parish over on the CBS Ion College Basketball podcast was talking about immediately in the aftermath that North Carolina, if you go back six weeks ago, right, and and take the six weeks to now, you take a look. North Carolina was the is the seventh hottest team according to Bart Torvik because that's where you can actually look at a subset of the of the uh, the season. You know, they were the seventh hottest. They were hotter than Duke. What he failed to realize or failed to mention is the fact that, yes, North Carolina was seven. Kansas was one. Like, they were, they have been the hottest team since, I believe it was February 1st was the last, like, you have to go back before February 1st for any team to be above Kansas in terms of the overall ratings from that point to now, with the exception of uh, the very beginning of March. So March 1st, right before conference, or I'm sorry, right after Kansas lost to TCU. Okay, in the first game in Fort Worth, that is literally the only day where where North Carolina was a or a hotter team coming to now than than Kansas was. Kansas has been one of the best teams in the nation since the beginning of the year, since January first, 
And what I don't understand is why people are overlooking that and kind of overlooking this Kansas team because, I mean, it's I guess it's the fatigue factor. Yes, I mean, the national media doesn't have fatigue factor about talking about the Coach K story, but Kansas has been so good for so long that they've almost taken it for granted. They've expected Kansas to be better than they were, but they've been pretty damn good. Like, the defense has gotten better and better and better throughout the course of the season. The offense has been phenomenal all year long, and we are now starting to see all of the players put it together. You know, like Remy Martin was the story of the of the first two weekends for Kansas. He didn't really do anything in the game in, in, in the final four because guess what? Otay Baji went on a, an incredibly hot tear. David McCormick was absolutely killing Villanova on the inside. And yes, Villanova doesn't have the big guys inside that North Carolina does in Baycott, but Villanova has a similar situation. I'm sorry, North Carolina has a similar situation to Villanova in that they only run five or six deep. And so we're looking at a similar sort of, you know, issue potentially for North Carolina that, hey, they're a hot team. They can do a whole lot of stuff. But if someone gets in foul trouble, I don't know who North Carolina can actually throw off the bench. And and we we are at the point now that Coach K is no longer in the tournament. The story that they want to talk about is the people that knocked him out of the tournament. Hubert Davis, he's done a fantastic job in his first year. But um, they're they're overlooking the fact that this is probably... Kansas has probably been the best team for the vast majority of the year. I think we would be talking a lot differently about this team if they hadn't lost that early game to Dayton. Um, you know, if they hadn't lost that game, then I think most people would be acknowledging that Kansas should have been the favorite to win the title for quite a long time over everybody except for maybe Gonzaga. It's the quietest I feel like I've I've it's been for a one seed, right? And, and to your Dayton point, I think that's valid. I think getting blasted by Kentucky at the end of January is really when the like, yeah, okay. Fair. They're going to win a bunch of games. You know, they 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 tied. Again, Kansas this year, there's been bigger storylines. Mark Adams, right? Uh, the injuries for, with Baylor and what's going on with TC. Like, there's been bigger storylines in the Big 12 than Kansas, who ties for the regular season title. They tear through the Big 12 tournament, but that's not, it wasn't sexy. It wasn't a big story. Now they're in the tournament. And they're pretty much, they're winning very business-like, but that's not the story, Duke North. So, it, like, it's almost, Kansas has been able to stay out of the limelight really since they got trashed by, by Kentucky. Even when they blew out Baylor in that one game. It got some buzz because it was Baylor, but it almost felt like it was more buzz because it was Baylor than it was buzz because it was Kansas. Kansas has just quietly gone about this season ever since that Kentucky loss. And here we sit... And I like I felt really good about Kansas really since we got to this to, to the Sweet Sixteen. I'm like I'm like they could lose, but we've we felt pretty good about them, and they've they've lived up to that. Whether you want to say that's in too easy a path, whether you want to say that's whatever, but like the depth of this Kansas team, North Carolina, the top of North Carolina's time is is great. It's really good. They don't have the depth, and your point on if if North Carolina gets into foul trouble is very valid. I just like, I think the story is Kansas. It's just not the story anybody wants to write about. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. And, and I spent, actually, you know it's been a good weekend when you plan on doing a half an hour episode and the Rock Chalk podcast is coming out as an hour long, uh, talking about the game that happened on Saturday and previewing the national title game. So definitely make sure you check that out because I go I go way in depth with, I guess, Lucky Charm of the NCAA tournament, my, uh, my brand new, I guess, kind of tournament co-host, uh, 
you know, over there anyway. Been, been, been talking with the same guy. I'm not superstitious at all. No way. I had to make sure I had him on every single episode, though, as soon as, you know, they really started uh, rolling in the tournament. So, but no, uh, <laughs> sorry. It is one of those things, though, where Kansas has been good for so long that people expect it. But there are also a lot of things, I think, going on behind the scenes um, where specific media outlets, I think everybody knows who I'm talking about, but I'll just go ahead and say it. Like Yahoo Sports, they're, they're, uh, they seem to, given who some of their individual uh, writers are and the fact that most of them come from one specific school that uh, does not like the Jayhawks very much, um, like to take every opportunity they can to remind people about the whole FBI scandal and the fact that Bill Self is, you know, he's going to get hammered and all of this stuff is going to happen. As an example, the recap that they had, right, of last night's game, spent about four paragraphs talking about the game and then spent the rest of it talking about how, well, Bill Self might finally actually win a national title and, uh, you know, or won after after the, the first one he won in 2008. And, oh, by the way, they got a lot of the facts around that title wrong um, and immediately turned it into, uh, well, nothing's happened yet to Kansas for the FBI investigation, but he the, he's going to get hammered. And it's about time that Bill Self actually lives up. To, like, it was just, it's one of those things. There are some creative or I guess some narratives that will not die surrounding Kansas. And it's nice for certain writers to, to do it in that way. And, and coach K was a, a story that everybody wanted to talk about. And so it was really easy to ignore a lot of other things that were going on. A lot of teams that should have gotten a lot more spotlight this year. Didn't get it because there was one person that everybody wanted to talk about, even though all of the people that consume the media didn't want to hear about it anymore because we've been hearing about it all year long. So yeah, Kansas has kind of flown under the radar, which is really weird to say for a number one seed, especially the last number one seed that's left in the tournament. And, you know, I'm looking at it. I'm having a hard time imagining, like I, I, I can understand how North Carolina can win the game, but I have a hard time thinking that it's actually very likely. Yeah. I mean, I'll make my pick. I think it's Kansas. I, I assume Andy, you feel the same. Jamie, any thoughts oh, on, on the national championship game that will be played uh, Monday night? Not anything particularly different. No. That's fine. That's fine and fair. Uh, okay, so obviously a big game on Monday. If Kansas does win, we will talk quite a bit about Kansas and their championship on Thursday uh, and what it means for the Big 12 to get a second straight national championship on the men's tournament, not to mention the three straight NCAA tournaments with a Big 12 team in the men's final, not to mention, as we mentioned, four straight NCAA tournaments with a men's team in the final four. But tell me more about the ACC and the Big Ten. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, really, that should be the story that they're talking about, right? But it doesn't fit the narrative that the Big 12 has underperformed in the tournament because, hey, guess what? A whole bunch of teams lost in the second round. Um or, you know, the narrative that the ACC is surprisingly good this year because guess what? They got three teams in the Elite Eight thanks to some gifts of refing calls and gifts of other things collapsing around them. Um, specifically, I'm thinking about Miami. Miami got a huge gift, right, in in uh, Iowa State being the team that they faced just because, you know, they matched up really well against Iowa State. And Iowa State, I think, way overperformed, I think, what most people expected. But somehow that's because the ACC is just that much better and not that the Big 12, you know, is is just as good, if not better. So like I said, we'll talk more about Kansas on Thursday's episode, I, I assume. I feel pretty good about that prediction. Uh, Jamie, I know you've been a little bit quiet. There's a couple of things that we haven't talked about. 
Um, and I've been waiting till you are able to join us again. There are two new head coaches on the women's side in the Big 12, Oklahoma State with the hiring uh, of J.C. Hoyt as the new women's basketball coach away from uh, UMKC or Kansas City. I don't know what they go by now. Uh, and, then of course, uh, West Virginia hiring Don. I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm going to try so hard. Uh, Plutzevite. How bad was that? It's I, it's what I was saying earlier, but I looked it up, and it's it's white. I speak German, so I pronounce it like you would speak right. German. Right. When you see Z-U-W-E, I would assume it would be a V sound as well, but it puts a white. Okay, cool. Yes. Well, that works too. That's fine. Uh, let's just, I failed German in college. Let's just not talk about that. Uh, let's, let's start with Oklahoma State. That was the first hire. Uh, she's pretty much put her staff together, uh, keeping a couple of coaches on board, uh, bringing an assistant over mm-hmm. from, I believe, SMU, who is a former Baylor, Baylor player, Baylor mm-hmm. National Championship winner. Uh, this is not the name that you and I had talked about. It's not the name that we had heard. This one seemed to kind of come out of nowhere a little bit. Uh, what are your thoughts on Oklahoma State and, and the hiring of J.C. Hoyt? Yeah, I mean, I, I hadn't heard her name in the conversation. I had heard several names in the conversation. Hers, like we said, wasn't one of them. Um, but she's a young woman. There's a huge trend towards hiring women into coach women's basketball. Um, and so when you're when you're looking at new head coaches, that's going to be fairly common. Um, and I mean, Kansas City is a fairly tough place to be really really good there's just a lot of bigger schools around you you know big 12 schools specifically and so it's kind of a tough place to recruit and she I mean she did fairly well there and so um certainly has that experience you know she was at K-State so she's got familiarity with the league and so uh, I'm certainly really intrigued to see what happens there. My, um, my new habit has been that I treat the transfer portal like a tabloid. And so every morning I wake up and see who's in the portal because I don't have anything better to do apparently. And so I'm waiting to see the pendulum swing the other way for Oklahoma state. There's been several people that hit the portal. I mean, again, it's really not that much of an indictment of her. It's the situation in Oklahoma state was really tough and when you have a new coach, I mean, especially when you have such a drastic coaching change, you know, there's people who specifically want to play for a male. There's people who specifically want to play for a woman. And so, you know, you there's all those things that go into it. So I would never say that anything of like the transfers has to do with her. But the fact remains that she's had five people enter transfer portal in Oklahoma State hasn't announced people coming in yet and so you're just kind of waiting to see who that ends up being because there's there's a lot of talents out there ready to be kind of snagged and so you know that they'll get some really good ones I'm just really intrigued to see who it is that she goes after uh Hoyt went uh, 81 and 65 in five years with UMKC, won the WAC regular season title in 2019-2020 season, which of course the postseason was canceled. Uh, so not not sure if her best team would have made the NCAA tournament or not. Uh, got to the WNIT this past season. So from a from a postseason standpoint, not a lot to really get excited about. Um, overall record, I mean, I think she did a a decent job. Um, Two twenty-one seasons, uh, only two losing seasons. So we'll certainly see. I, again, I, I like the staff she's put together. She retained uh, a couple of assistant coaches that were there already, which I think was good. And yeah, look, portal entries like it's such an easy thing to do nowadays. Um, and I, that's not a shot at the players. Like 
if you want to leave, that's that's fine. If that's you, just you, facts. Like it's a very simple process. Yeah, we have to. Again, we've talked about this. You have to change your perspective on people leaving. Like sometimes it is a reflection on the coaching staff. Sometimes when it's a coaching change, like at this point, I'm almost. I'm just. I'm impressed if you keep everybody around, but I'm not like concerned if you don't. Right. Like I, I just don't, I think that's kind of part of it nowadays. Uh, okay. So over just real quick, any thoughts on, on her playing style or, or, or what we can maybe expect to see from Oklahoma state with her? I haven't really had an opportunity to see a whole lot of what she did um, at Kansas city in the off season. That's certainly something that I'll be able to dive into a little bit more, um, but no, no real grand great insights at this point yet. Um, except to say that I, I do think it's a, generally in that area, it's a little bit different just because the recruits you can get to that level aren't exactly the same. And so whatever the style is, it'll be really interesting to see how it translates to the Big 12 because a lot of those kind of areas, you're playing more guard ball out of necessity. And so you have to really adapt to play in the Big 12. 12. And so I'll be very, very interested to see uh, what the transition is from, you know, the style of UMKC to a place like Oklahoma State where you're having to pick up some new players as well as, you know, all kind of learn it together. Over to West Virginia, as we mentioned, Don, um, I'm going to get used to it. Uh, puts a white, it's white, a fight, haha. Uh, very different coaching career. Spent six seasons at Grand Valley State in Division Two. Won a national championship there. Reached the quarterfinals another time. Won their conference uh, three years in a row. After a few years as a, an assistant at Michigan, from there took over the head coaching job at Northern Kentucky for four seasons before moving over to South Dakota, where she has won the Summit League three times. Uh, finished twice, second twice. Has made the NCAA tournament three times in her six or seven years there. Or six years, sorry. Uh, including a run to the Sweet 16 this past tournament. I mean, I think this is a great hire for West Virginia. Looking at yes. what she has accomplished in her career. Um, I think, yeah, I, I think they knocked this hire out of the park. It was, I had a conversation recently with someone and they said, you know, I don't know how her style translates. It's kind of different. And I disagreed. I said, I think it's, really great because if you think West Virginia, you think nose to the grindstone, going to try to outwork you, going to try to out physical you and South Dakota. We, I mean, anyone who watched the women's tournament saw what they were this year. And it was very similar in that they were going to outwork you. They were going to try to be physical in a way that isn't, dirty and it, it was it was really interesting when they made the hire that I looked at it and I was like you know what I I see it I see the vision and so obviously the area you're recruiting the kind of recruits you're getting are again going to be extremely different from one to the other but stylistically I I can see where they kind of made the connection of okay this is a trendy hire based on taking them in through the sweet 16, but it also is more than that. You know, there, there's more sense that went into it than just, Hey, this person just had a good run. So we're going to hire them. There was definitely, in my opinion, some stylistic things that would translate well. And so, you know, I'll go into the 
team composition, kind of like I did with Oklahoma State, where West Virginia has had some significant transfers as well. I mean, most notably, KK Deans and Kari Nyblack both grad transferring. And so those are some names that obviously, if you've watched any degree of Big 12 women's basketball this year, they were huge, huge pieces of the for West Virginia. So that'll be a significant blow, but you're also retaining a lot of really big talent. That's the biggest thing is that clearly the players are based off of the results so far are happy with the higher made, you know, we, we will potentially see more entering, but you still have as Mary Martinez, you still have JJ Quinterly. You still have some of these players who have really done uh, some good things at West Virginia. And of course she'll be hitting the portal too. So uh, very, very interested in that because I had heard no names. I had nothing to go on with this coaching search. And so when they finally made their announcement, I was like, all right, you know, I, I had no gauge on what was happening, but I hear that. And I really like it. Yeah. I mean, you look at what she's done so far. It's hard to argue with it. I, I I don't know how much like fans of their coaches always like I think overplay like they look at the championships they won at this other division. But I do think that matters. Yeah. Like, I do think having that level of success, moving up a division, continuing to have success. I I have to you have to feel good if you're a West Virginia fan about this. Um I think it's huge news. I think it helps keep the Big 12 as as an incredibly competitive conference. I know West Virginia and Oklahoma State obviously dipped this year, uh, but their uh, their former head coach is leaving very differently as OSU and um, Latell parted ways. West Virginia's head coach retired. So I, I think I feel better about one of these hires than the other, but at the, with Hoyt, I just don't know enough. I don't I don't have enough information mm-hmm. to form an opinion off of it. There's a lot of question marks there. Yeah. I mean, she's just young. She's pretty green. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see what she does with the resources at a Power 5 school. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, looking at the women's team, the women's championship is going on right now as we are recording. Sorry, we, we got the times wrong. Time zones are a tricky thing. It's why everything should just be in God's time. It makes life a whole lot easier for all of us in it, living in it. And the rest of you... It's what you get for living on the coast. Um, Monday night's game. Andy, it's Kansas North Carolina tips off at 820 God's time. Yeah, I know. It's really late. Uh, on on like TBS. I am glad that I don't live on the East Coast anymore because I would be absolutely dead the next day. Although the place I actually work for for my day job is on the East Coast. So I'll still be dead the next day anyway. But Got it. Got it. Um, well, there is some really interesting news regarding the national championship game on Monday. Uh, whoever actually wins this game, I believe Homefield Apparel is going to have a shirt that's going to come out like, if not immediately, at least within the, the next 12 hours for the champion. And if I'm a Kansas fan, I'm just going to have, as soon as that game is over and Kansas won, I'm just going to hit the refresh at Homefield. Just hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it. Because I like, say, you just I'm- got a line of amazing Kansas shirts. And now you're probably potentially going to get another one. Like how much more does Kansas need? Huh? How much more do you guys need? I was looking forward to the final four shirts. We're forgetting of course, that they only did a national championship shirt last year for, for Baylor. So, you know, Kansas cannot let Baylor have more nice things than them. So of course they're going to get themselves a national championship shirt. So if you haven't bought from home, Bill Apparel yet, Easiest thing to do is use the promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2 on your first order and get 15% off. 
even if you're a Kansas fan, you're like, I love Kansas. If you're not a Kansas fan, like you guys know this deal. West Virginia, Texas Tech, Texas, Baylor, Iowa State, Kansas. Uh, let's see, Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, and BYU. Oklahoma State, if I missed one, I'm sorry, but there's more than 100 schools there. They are the most comfortable t-shirts, sweaters, and hoodies you will find anywhere. They have the best freaking logos. And they're not, like, their original ones are cool. Guys, there's a reason that when they get a school, it takes them so long to get clothes out. Part of it's because the people they have to deal with are a giant pain in the butt and you have to send things through review through people who have no business making decisions whether or not an old school logo from the 1930s should be allowed to go on a t-shirt and sold. All of that aside, but they do extensive research to put together the best stuff you will find. So homefieldapparel.com. If you're not a Kansas fan, just go shop now. You don't have to wait till Monday night. If you are a Kansas fan, just Give it, a, give it a minute, because I get the feeling you guys might have a nice shirt by Tuesday morning that says, congratulations, Kansas National Championship, whatever. So, Network 12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2 for 15% off your first order. Be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will ever, ever put on. I'm rocking one of my Pistol Pete shirt right now, my old school one, because, you know, represent the brand. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pit, joined by my brother... Jeremy, J, and Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, anyplace. Get at your boys. There's only one place to get the best daily audio coverage of the Kansas Jayhawks, and that's here on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Join me, your host, Andy Mitz, every weekday as we go through all the biggest stories affecting your favorite college teams, whether that's football, basketball, tennis, soccer, baseball, softball, volleyball, or any other team that the Kansas Jayhawks put forward. If there's a story to cover, we grab a guest from across the sports landscape and bring that story to you. Find it now wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Okay, uh, we are going to shift gears. We're still going to talk a little West Virginia. Um, Andy's sticking around. Jamie's going to go watch the rest of this game in which we hope that South Carolina puts the hurt on UConn. Oh, boo-hoo, Uh Speaking of coaches, we wouldn't mind seeing retire. Uh, but joining us in Jamie's stead, we're going to talk a little West Virginia. Um, we have to talk about what's going on in Morgantown. We have to talk about what is going on in Morgantown. The transfer portal we just mentioned. Seeing guys leave is not the it's it's not the end of the world, right? It's not like it used to be when you see guys transfer, you have to worry, especially with new coaches. But even with established coaches, it's just part of college football now. So we can't just treat it the way we used to. That said, we do have to talk about West Virginia because it's not just the number of players that they have had transfer after this season, and it is a lot. It's the who these players are that are transferring. And we saw a lot of this from West Virginia last year, not to this degree, not in this number. But after two years, I I don't want to overreact. But I've seen West Virginia fans, and they are not feeling very good. So I'm really hoping we can get some answers as to what the heck is going on up in the Hill Country. Uh, so we're very excited to have first-time guest here on the show. Zach Campbell covers West Virginia for Sports Illustrated. Zach, welcome, man. Hey, Appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I'm coming to you live from Northern Virginia uh, at my parents' house, which is 
funny because right upstairs is my dad, who is the 1979 Mountaineer mascot. Ooh. So the the last year of old Mountaineer Stadium before they moved to Milan Puskar. So a little bit of, you know, going back West Virginia history there, but um, appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I don't think anybody has any answers, man. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't, it's, it's, it's completely unprecedented territory where, where we are now. Again, I don't like to overread into things, especially with the transfer portal. It's just become a part of college football, right? But it's hard sure. not to see Akeem Mesador, Nick Troy Fortune, Josh Chandler, like Daryl Porter. You look at some of these guys, Josh Chandler, Samito, Jackie Matthews. Like you're seeing these guys who were the guys on defense who made the impact. These are the names you heard called week in and week out, and they're transferring. And and, and look, I. We can talk about what West Virginia fans are saying on social media in a minute. I'm not sure how much I buy of that because, again, it's just, just everyone's dealing with the same stuff. Everyone's dealing with people coming and poaching. It's happening across college yeah. football, college yeah. basketball. That's just life. But yeah. well, And for, for fans saying, like, oh, that's just that's, that's what's happening. Well, it's happening everywhere. So my question is, why is it working at West Virginia more than it's working across anywhere else in the Power Five that I can find? Um. <sighs> As a lifelong West Virginia fan, I have a I think I have a pretty cogent idea of why maybe this has affected West Virginia more than a lot of other Power Five schools because West Virginia has always kind of been um, on a little bit of an island, right? Hard place to recruit to. It's not in South Florida. It's not in Southern California. It's not, um, you know, it's not on the shore. It's not like the winters are harsh. It's not near like a major city somewhere, right? Now, NIL and people are able to open up their checkbooks. Um, it makes, I, I think it makes it double, triple as hard as it used to be. Um, that's not to say that West Virginia doesn't have a lot to offer because it does. You know, they're the winningest program that's at a national championship, but it's gotten that much more difficult to not only get kids there, but to keep them there, right? That's that's kind of my my thinking, anyways. I was going to say, too, because, I mean, transfers happen all the time, right? Like, and it's definitely gotten more now that they're able to leave and go and play immediately. But I think the thing that concerns me the most and, like, why all of a sudden it went from, man, that's a lot of guys leaving to, wait a minute, what the heck is going on in West Virginia? You know, Akeem Mesador came out with the story about, you know, there was a stabbing um, and, like, players don't feel safe and things like that. Like, how how much is the concern now, right? That something else is going on with the program. And does that, does it, I'm not sure if it feels like there's something going on with Neil Brown in the program, or if there's something, the program as a whole, or if there's something else going on there that guys are just trying to find ways to leave at this point. Yeah. I think, um, 
every big college town in America has incidents, has, you know, there's dust up crime, like, you know, we'll go downtown and get drunk and do stupid stuff. And I'm not going to comment on like, like I'm, I'm, there was a stabbing where St. McLeod, who's another player on West Virginia, got stabbed a month or two ago. Um, that Akeem Mesidor kind of mentioned. Um, I personally don't think that really had anything to do with it. I think it was just somebody opened up their checkbook and said, hey, man, get you, you know, lot more money for this through the nil and off you go and and that's and that's that's kind of the unfortunate nature of what's going on now and i, and I think west virginia for being um let's say middle of the pack power five school that's just what's going to happen and i think the, del- the delineation between the haves and the have-nots in college football is just going to con- continue to widen until something happens. So for West Virginia, and for Neil Brown, more importantly, like it's already felt like a pretty big year. You bring in an offensive coordinator, which is usually one of those moves you kind of you, know, you make when you know there's some need to make some changes. Uh, and look, they got, they got a good one. At some point this summer, we're just gonna, we're going to rank all the uh, uh, coordinator hires, and that one's going to be up there. There's Talk about JT Daniels and West Virginia is one of the options there. That's that's obviously a big deal. But but for Neil Brown, with with everything going on, you've seen a fan base, at least I have from a social media standpoint, that's that's, that's feeling pretty downtrodden. I don't see much optimism, um, and, and and I understand that. I'm not going to blame them when you see the kinds of guys who are leaving. You know, that's going to leave you a little pessimistic. For Neil Brown, I mean, what? How do you handle this summer now? How do you handle the spring? How do you handle the summer and the fall? Do you try and just go with business as usual or uh, and just hope that the season goes well enough that everybody hops back on board or continues with the climb? Or do you have to kind of change your thought process based off how things are going? I think um, first thing is that so you, you still have the looming like, okay, is JT Daniels going to transfer in? Right, because he visited Oregon State, he visited Missouri, and now he's, you know, visited WV. So, like, if JT Daniels transfers in, well, you would almost de facto have to have him start, right? Doesn't matter if Nico Marquial is there, Garrett Green, or any of those guys. If JT Daniels transfers in, like, he's doing it with the intention of starting. you know, for for West Virginia outside of the quarterback position, like pretty much everything on offense is kind of kind of locked in. You know, they they return the entire offensive line. They have all their wide receivers coming back, um, but they have been so hemorrhaged by transfers on defense. I mean, I don't I don't even know what West Virginia would look like on on, on defense. At this point, honestly, um, especially with Mesidor going, so I don't know, man. It's it's like um, it is it is the Wild West in the Big Twelve now. 
Um, and, uh, and I just feel like just college football in general. Now the, the landscape is shifting even more to a polarized state where you've got like the Alabama's and the Oklahoma's of the world. And then pretty much everyone else. Um, so it was just, it's a weird, weird place to be, but, um, you know, my, my, my hope is that Neil Brown turns it around because he seems to be a good guy that really, really cares about the program, but it's kind of, it's kind of now or never for him, honestly. It does feel that way. It felt that way anyways, being year four. They have they've had some success, but not to the degree that they would like. And look, I thought this was the best hire. I can't remember if it was this one. This and Kleiman were the two best hires that year. And obviously that's kind of panned out. But it, it has not gone as well as I thought as anyone really thought it would. I'm curious from this standpoint. We talk about NIL a lot. What is West Virginia? What is West Virginia doing on that front? What what do they have set up? And I, and I I know how NIL is supposed to work, but we're we're seeing collectives formed at every university at this point. If you don't have a collective, you don't have a group of of boosters who are funneling money to help get the recruits to campus. You're you're already way behind. Where does West Virginia stand on that potential front? And and what is West Virginia doing besides the usual stuff to try and and help themselves on that front? It doesn't seem to be enough. At, at this point, I, I know they have um, they have at least one trust that's got a couple alums and and um, uh, spouses of coaches kind of kind of behind it, but it's just it's not nearly enough firepower. Because like, all right, all right so I'll, I'll give you an example: Jamila Die, who played for West Virginia. And coached West Virginia a couple years ago, went to Georgia, and is now at Miami. Well, Miami's just kind of cleaning up, like new new coaching staff, like they're they're on the resurgence. Um, their their financial power firepower uh, is not what West Virginia's is. To my knowledge, um, and it's and it's and it's and it's tough. I mean, you know, West Virginia's got a lot of dis- disadvantages. Uh, you know, it, it's. Um, I think the powers of B need to pull their their collective powers a little bit better if West Virginia wants to compete with the new state of college football i don't know how they're going to do it um but it's going to take a lot of concerted effort and um and i and i and i hope that they can because i because i want west virginia to stay in a power five conference and i want them to, to compete but it's not about recruiting anymore like just two years ago, they dumped like i don't know 50 million dollars into facility up- upgrades and like they've got one of the nicest locker rooms and facilities in the country. It's not enough anymore. No, like you have to stay up on the facilities race, but that's not, it's not going to do it. It's not going to win you much because everybody's investing money in there. Zach, uh, I mean, I'm 
I don't know that anybody outside of that locker room uh, and that 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 facility really knows what's going on. And I, I mean, based off comments thus far, it, it really does feel like you know with with what Neil Brown said after Akeem Ezador announced he was leaving. I have to ask if if they entirely understand what all is going on, or at least if they have answers for how to how to solve this problem. Um, I'll wrap up on this. Like we said, this was already a big season for Neil Brown. I mean, realistically, what does he have to do to keep his job? Or is he is this is he safe? Is he safe no matter what happens this year, and he's going to have a year five, or? Is there a hot seat under Neil Brown heading into 2022 season? I mean, I'm I'm looking at this as objectively as I possibly can. Neil's got to win at least at least eight games in a bowl win this year. Um, you know, trust the climb has been the 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 slogan, the brand for the last few years, and and I feel like by and large the the fan base is absolutely in him. But now it's kind of like, all right, man, like. You know, now's now's kind of the time. You know, uh, if it's not eight wins and it's not a bowl win, then I don't. You know, feel like West Virginia is going to go back to square one, and I don't want them to because I think Neil Brown's, you know, a uh, great cultural fit for West Virginia and really cares about the team. But you got to win at the end of the day. So that's that's kind of how I'm. I'm looking at it. Agreed. It's year four. This roster should be all his roster. There shouldn't be anybody left from Holgerson. It's it's what he's built. The and and trust the climb makes sense for two three years. And I and I get COVID was year two, and that that obviously was an issue for everybody. But it was an issue for everybody. So at this point, heading into heading into year four, like we shouldn't be climbing anymore. We we should be uh, hitting where we're supposed to be hitting, and then and then building from there. Uh, Zach, man, I appreciate your time tonight, bud. Uh, do me a favor. Where can everybody check out the work you do covering West Virginia? Um, go to SI West Virginia Mountaineer Maven. Um, and while you're on that note, give my give my guy uh, Scholar Scholar can oh, can't talk. Scholar Callahan a follow. He he runs our page. He's also getting married this summer, so give him a shout out for there. But uh, um, then follow me on Twitter at za underscore Campbell si, and uh, I appreciate you having me on, man. It was awesome talking to you guys. Hey, Zach, we appreciate it. I hope West Virginia finds success this season, especially, especially at the beginning of the year. I I, I do enjoy the phrase "eat shit pit." So uh, let's see if you guys can make him do it this year. Andy, uh, any closing thoughts before we wrap this up today? No, I mean, I, I just, well, okay, no, sorry, I lied. I, I do have some closing thoughts. West Virginia specifically, like, I, I don't really know what's going on there, but I really hope that they get it figured out. Because like you said, Neil Brown, I think, is was my favorite one of the coaches that came in with that class, those, those four those four coaches. You know, it was, it was uh, Matt Wells, Les Miles, Kleinman, and then Neil Brown, so... So, yeah, I mean, I, I really hope he does well. It seems like a lot of people like him, but like you said, it comes down to winning. He's got to start winning. I know that our friends over at the Raspy Voice Kids um, like what he's doing, but they agree, I think. I hope I'm not speaking out of turn for them, but that he really needs to get it going this year. I don't know how much the West Virginia fan base can have patience for another year where, you know, 
things go somewhat well, but that they don't end the way that they really expect them to. So can't be about the climb anymore, man. It's time to, it's time to start hitting the top of the mountain. Uh, Zach again. Thanks buddy. Andy, always a pleasure. Uh, everybody make sure that you're checking out every show on the 1012 network at 1012 network.com. That's T E N the number 12, the word network. Uh, that includes Andy's show, the rock Chalk podcast. Uh, that includes of course our West Virginia show, raspy voice kids. They are, always putting out amazing stuff, whether you're a West Virginia fan or not. I always suggest you go and listen because the uh, Am I the A-Hole segments. <laughs> oh, those are good. Uh, 1012network.com. Follow us on Twitter at 1012network, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network, on Instagram at 1012pod. Um, final thought, final note. Uh, we're going to talk about this more this week. No divisions. Say no to divisions. This is the campaign. Say no to divisions. Say yes to protected rivalries. I understand why West Virginia fans like divisions. The new Big 12. No divisions. Protected rivalries. You get three rivals and rotate through everybody else. Hashtag. Hashtag. No Big 12 divisions. All right, guys. We're going to get out of here. We'll talk to you again on Thursday. And I hope that conversation includes uh, Kansas, the 2022 men's national champions. Podcast Network.